you guys want to be turning in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter 4, while you're turning in there, let me go ahead and apologize to you. The Bibles did not come in this week, so I do not have your Bibles here yet. For the one year, we had 70-something of you said we want them. I've got 80 ordered. If we need more, I'll get more afterwards. But I appreciate the response to that, that I needed to order 81-year Bibles for the reading. I put 50 plans out there in case you want to use your own Bible, and those went in a blink. And I've had several people ask, well, I didn't print any more. Um, what we have done, faithlagrange.com. You can go to our website. You can download the app. You can go to YouTube. Anywhere that you go to Faith Baptist Church, LaGrange, Georgia, you will find that download. So that you can find just January 1st, read that day. January 2nd, read that day. If you want to wait till we get the one-year Bibles, that's fine. Lord willing, I hope to have them by next Sunday. I guess I'm Amazon spoiled. I thought you could order everything and get it within 24 hours, but I've learned that's not exactly true. But it's okay. The reading of the Word of God will be valuable when we get it. So um, I, I, I would appreciate it if all of you just go, go ahead and continue. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the opportunity. God did a lot of things for us last year as we read several books together. We read several chapters together. We did some prayer time together. I'm excited this year that we together as a church are united to read the Word of God through in a year. I promise you. It'll change every life in here. It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible through in a year. It doesn't matter how many times you've studied. It doesn't matter what you know or what you don't know. I promise you. To read the Bible through together in a year as a church is going to change us. It's going to change us as individuals. It's going to change us as a group. And I pray that it will draw us closer to the Lord, closer to each other. So Colossians chapter 4 here this morning, the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 is writing the conclusion to his letter to the church here at Colossians. And he gives us some advice in a couple of verses. Verse number 5, he gives us advice on, on how we should be, how we ought to be when we're around those who are lost. Colossians 4, 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. It's important to redeem the time that we have. Time is short. Jesus is coming. It doesn't matter what the world has to say. It doesn't matter what doubts may be. I assure you the Lord Jesus Christ will step out on the cloud. Gabriel will sound a trumpet. The church will be called home. And those who are lost will be left behind. We are to redeem the time. What we did and did not do yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Grace is sufficient. Mercy is available. And it is without limitation. So we ask God to forgive us for what we didn't do right yesterday. And we focus on doing things right today, re re redeeming the time. Verse number six, we got some advice here in regards to conversation to our speech. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. So last week we began reading the Bible through together as a church. We began reading it through in a year. Why is it important that we know what the word of God says? Why it is important that we as a Christian read the Bible every day of our lives. I mean, isn't it enough that, that we heard about salvation, we believed on what the Bible said about salvation, we have accepted what the Bible says about salvation, and for that reason we're saved. Why isn't it enough? Why, does, why is it so important that, that Christians know the Word of God and read and understand what it says? I read in one of my Bibles from years back, I looked at stuff, I hit a quote that, that I had put in there. It said, either the Word of God will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Word of God. Not sure who originated it, I just know it was written back in one. So I, I want to look for a few minutes this morning, right here I want to steal a line from Paul's text right there in Colossians a message simply entitled that you may know. 
Father God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, we do thank you for grace. God, I thank you for mercy. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for loving us in spite of us. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit in this place, God. I thank you for your moving upon people, God. I pray would you move mountains this day, God. Would you save souls in this place and through the airways, God. I pray you'd call some prodigals home, mend some broken marriages, heal some sick. God, I pray, Father, above all, that you'd be pleased on everything that we do in this day. God, I pray you teach us, draw us closer to you. Help us to be more in your image before we leave this place, God. Will you do something to make a difference in us? We love you, God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. So Paul says that our speech should always be with grace. That means that, that our speech should always have a spirit of, of humility and sincerity. There ought to be something different about the way we talk. If you sound like the world, there's an issue. If we talk like the world, there's an issue. If you use the four-letter adjectives of the world, there is an issue. Paul says that there ought to be a difference in, in our speech. We should always have this spirit of humility. He says that it should be seasoned with salt. Anybody in here eat anything without any salt? If you do, God bless you. You live an extremely boring, tasteless life. Well, I shouldn't say tasteless. But salt adds flavor to things. Salt is, a, is an it is an improvement of things. When we put it in, Paul says that we should season our speech with grace the same way that we season our food with salt. The only way we're going to season our speech with grace is by reading the Word of God. The only way we're going to be changed, the only way we're going to be different, the only way we're going to be, be separate, come out from among them, be separate, the only way that's going to happen is that we instill the Word of God inside of us. So why it is important that we know the Word of God and that we can defend the Word of God? So this week we started reading right out the gate, day one. You got through with your reading in Genesis there. You may read one and part of chapter two. You turned over to Matthew and right out the gate you got. He begot and begot and he begot and begot and he begot. And there was this information overload. You can't remember the first 14 generations by the time you get through, right? Anybody with me? And, and when you're reading through, you're like, man, I want to I, I say hate, but that's such a strong word. I really don't like reading all that. It's like, I ain't going to remember it. I ain't. I, yeah, I am from where I am, right? I'm not going to remember it. I, 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 why, why is it necessary that, that I read that stuff? Because if it wasn't necessary, God wouldn't have included it. If there wasn't something important about that, then the Holy Spirit would not have taken time to put it down. Now, I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons as to why that's important. I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons so that we know all about the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we didn't have nothing but verse number 17, you can see an importance of why God listed it. Because he said in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1, all the generations from Abraham, Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the carrying away of Babylon, 14 generations. From the carrying away of Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. That one sentence, if you do a number study in the Word of God, is important because the number 14 always means deliverance. And what that shows is by the Holy Spirit pointing out the number 3, Jesus is the third 14, and the number 3 is always the resurrection. So in that one statement right there, it shows us that Jesus Christ is our only deliverance from death, hell, and the grave, right? Now, you don't have to know all that when you read it. But what you do have to know is that it's important or God wouldn't have taken time to put it in there. But, but what about Genesis? I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and you can think it within your mind. 
How many people on day two, when all of a sudden Cain went and got a wife, in your mind, you said, where'd she come from? Mm, I ain't, see? Wait, 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 wait. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. Now, form, void, darkness upon the face deep. Spirit of God moved upon the waters. God said, let there be light. There was light. God divided light in the darkness. You go back and you read it all again. We get down to day six. And he created man in his own image. He's got all the beasts of the field. All the heavens are there. And, and then Adam knew Eve. And they got Cain and Abel. And now because of jealousy, Cain's killed Abel. And, and then Cain goes to Nod. And he gets a what? See, it's important that, that we don't just read the Word of God. It's important that, that we know the Word of God. See, verse number 16, you, you just read it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, that because Cain was a farmer and his sacrifice wasn't accepted, and, and, and so he kills his brother. But Genesis 4, 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city, and he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. Now, see, it's important for us to know the Word of God. Now, it's very simple for us to say, look, I just believe God. Therefore, I believe His Word. I, I, I believe the Word of God. That's all that matters to me. That's awesome. It, it truly is. That should be our honest response. I just believe God. Period. You know the bumper sticker, if you've got one on your car, go back and cut the middle section out and move it together. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I believe it. You can cut out and throw away. Because if God said it, that settles it. It don't matter if anybody believes it or not. It's a settled issue. So our answer truly should be, look, God said it. That, that's good enough for me. But that's not going to be good enough for the non-believer that questions you. That's not going to be good enough for the one that you're trying to lead to the Lord and, and try to tell. That's not going to be good enough for the skeptics. It's certainly not going to be good enough for the agnostics. Here in Genesis, we, we have a woman we don't really know anything about. We don't know her name. We, don't, we, don't, we do know where she come from. We'll look at that. We, we know that she was married to a man named Cain. She had a son named Enoch. We really don't know too much about her. But yet for centuries, this woman has been used to try and discredit the word of God. For centuries, this woman has been used to, to try to tear down everything about the creation story. As far back as 1925, the ACLU, which is an incredibly thorn in the side of America, an incredibly incorrect position. But as early as 1925, the ACLU took an attack on Christianity. They took an attack on the Word of God. It's called the Scopes Trial of 1925. It was held in Dayton, Tennessee. The, the, the attorney that was supposed to be representing Christianity, his name is Williams Jennings Bryan. William Jennings Bryan. The, the lawyer who stood for the ACLU was Clarence Darrow. There are, <coughs> excuse me, Court recordings, the recorded question and answer series from that trial. I want to read just a little small clip, if you would. This is the ACLU lawyer trying to tear down Christianity, trying to tear down the Word of God, and trying to prove that creation from the Word of God, the whole story is there. And he asked the attorney for Christianity, did you ever discover where Cain got his wife? His answer, no, sir. I leave the agnostics to hunt for her. Question, you've never found out? I've never tried to find out. You have never tried to find out? No. The Bible says that she got one, doesn't it? Were there other people on the earth at that time? And I hate this answer. 
He said, I cannot say. I'm sorry, but that's a disgrace for any Christian. I can tell you why. Because you just got through reading in the beginning. You just got through reading about the six-day creation. You just got through reading that God created Adam and Eve and that everything came from them. You may not know where she came from, nothing else, but you got to know she's a descendant of Adam and Eve. You got to know where she came from. You can't answer that question. I cannot say. And the question, you cannot say, did, did that ever enter your consideration? Never bothered me. There's no others recorded, but Cain got a wife. That's what the Bible says. So where she came from, you do not know. No, sir. I do not know. See, Darrow cleverly listed a number of questions. That's all I'm going to use from that trial. But he put together a number of questions there to try to put it together in an attempt to try to prove that the Bible is full of contradictions and that it cannot be defended. The truth is, most Christians probably couldn't answer a lot of the questions that were asked. And yet in the Word of God, there are answers. See, <clears throat> the, the church today lacks greatly in the teaching of apologetics. The church today lacks greatly in teaching the Word of God. Now, the, the truth is, and y'all don't, don't get mad at me, the truth is the truth, Right? The truth is the church in America today is very conditioned. We like to come in and have two or three little pick-me-up songs that make me feel better about myself and better about my situation and get me in a good enough mood to put up with what that nutcase is going to say for the next 35 minutes with his little three-point sermonette. But all that matters is make the song make me feel good about myself, pat me on the head with something out of the Scripture, and get me out of here by 12 o'clock. The church is conditioned to that today, and that's really where we are. But the church greatly lacks in teaching the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible instructs us in verse number 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The truth is, most Christians today, self-included, nothing left out right here. It's just straight up, we're not ready to give answers, much less win a debate with someone who comes armed to tear down the word of God. The Bible is all, I mean, the devil has already armed them with things from the Bible with little questions because that's what Satan does. He takes the Bible and twists it around. He takes the Bible and he changes one word or leaves one word. He gets just close enough to make you think. And when he sends people there that come to debate the Bible with you, if, they are sin, if they're not sin of God, then they're sin of the devil. If they're coming to debate the Bible, to tear it down, to try to disprove it that they're sent by the devil, and I assure you, they've been well armed by the devil. So it's very important that we as Christians understand that, that we can can. can Defined that we can explain the word of God. So here's the problem. We can say, I simply believe God. Rightfully so. If there's something we don't understand when we read, we pray about it. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. He's the author of the book. He's the one that can explain it, and he will in his time. He may not explain something to you right then. He may let you dig and search and research and learn a lot of other things to find. But we do have the Holy Spirit who simply can put things and teach us. But see, I can promise you those answers aren't going to be good enough for the unbeliever. Those answers aren't going to be good enough to the world. The article on the Scopes trial goes on to point out that the press was focused on this trial. Every newspaper of the day was represented at this trial. There's people came from everywhere. Do you understand? Christianity is on trial. 
The word of God was on trial. And all of the newspaper articles, all of the press have come to record this trial. And what they heard has affected Christianity. To this day, Christians cannot defend the biblical record. Another article says, <clears throat> in recent years, the removing of the Ten Commandments from public spaces has been big news. In fact, Christian morality on the whole seems to be rapidly declining in America and all the Western Hemisphere. Abortion is on the rise. Divorce rates are climbing. Gay marriage issues are increasing. But did you know that there is a connection between these events and the 1925 Scopes trial? The Scopes trial's significance is that it fueled the public debate over creation and evolution and that has continued into the 21st century. The debate has far-reaching implications on our increasingly secular society. Although the play Inherit the Wind was widely believed to be an accurate synopsis of the historical trial, it grossly distorted the actual events of history. The play openly mocks theism, religion, the South, William Jennings Bryan, and even religious pluralism. Inherit the Wind is still being used in history, science, and English classrooms all across America, many young people's prejudice against Christianity is being fueled and justified by this work of fiction. Here's the simple truth. We may believe God, but the world doesn't. The world is the ones that we're trying to reach with the gospel. So the world is the one where we need to be able to answer the question. So let's take just a minute this morning. I, I, I want to look at who is Cain's wife and where does she come from? Now, let me just go ahead and give you the simple answer so you don't have to wonder about any of it, and then we'll worry about the proofs, all right? She's his sister, period. She is a child of Adam and Eve. She is a daughter born of Adam and Eve, and, and she's just like Cain and Abel. She's one of the children of Adam and Eve, which makes him his sister. You say, but that's gross. Well, in today's world, yes. In, in, in terms of, of, of today's living and where we're at, yes. But in the beginning, no. The, the, number one, the body that we're living in, we are living in a body that has been living under the curse of sin for over 6,000 years. We are living in a body that has fallen under the curse of sin, that has fallen under all the sickness and all the things that's there. You know the sicknesses continue to grow. Things like COVID begin, continue to show up. Things continue to get worse. Cancer begin, begins to, to push the envelope. Heart condition. We, we're living in bodies that for over 6,000 years have been conditioned under the curse of sin. That's not true with Adam and Eve. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. He was created like God. So he didn't have all of this stuff in us that we carry. And I, I know you didn't come for a biology lesson. I just need to give it to you real quick. The problem with inbreeding and the problem, the reason is even against the Bible in today's time, is that you take a man and a woman and their imperfections are put into their offspring. And the imperfections that are put into the offspring are put into both offspring. When you put both those imperfections together, the likelihood of creating problems in an offspring greatly increases. So, so... That, that's one of the issues with today, why, why inbreeding is a big deal. But that's not the case with Adam and Eve. They, they are created perfect. You say, but it's, it's against the law. Yes, it is. But, but it's even against the Bible. Yes, it is, but not in Genesis. We know for a fact that Abraham married his half-sister. Genesis chapter 20, verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she's my sister. Abimelech said of King Gerar, and sent and took Sarah's wife. So Abraham obviously said that to protect himself. 
It was a lie. It's a half lie. You call it what you want. But he lied to protect himself. And a worldly king had to point out a godly man's fault. A worldly king had to come before the friend of God, Abraham, and point it out. But in his defense, Abraham being confronted, chapter 20 of the book of Genesis, verse 11, he said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So we have a half-sister there, but, but the marriage of close relatives didn't even come into place until the Levitical law was given to Moses. That's 2,500 years after sin entered the equation. That's 2,500 years after God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So here's the truth. In the beginning... Yes, brothers and sisters married each other. It was necessary. They all stemmed from Adam and Eve. And they had been commanded, not, not just suggested, commanded to be fruitful and, and to multiply. Listen, the same thing happened again in Genesis chapter 6. How do you think we got back after the flood? I mean, there, there's nobody there. Noah and his wife, three sons, three daughter-in-laws, eight people. Sorry, there's got to be some brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins. It's just got to be. So it's just not like that's the only time that, that we see it. So why is it important that we know these things? Because the world tries to use the, the wife of Cain to, to discredit the Bible. The world tries to use this woman to discredit the creation story. So let's just look at the facts. Facts, straight out of the Word of God. Number one, Genesis chapter two, verse number 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Everybody know what every means? None excluded. Every fowl of the air brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Anything excluded in that. So everything's included, every living creature. Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. So, so God formed every living creature. And, and right then, take every living creature is brought before Adam, and, and there's no helpmeet found. So, so there's no other people on the earth, right? Let me find my place. Verse number 21, the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. If there was another race, then there would have already been a woman here. If there was another race, then when every living thing was brought before Adam, the woman would have been brought before Adam, and God wouldn't have needed the rib because he wouldn't have had to fashion the woman. Everybody with me? Number two, the world tries to say that, that Cain went to Nod to find a wife. Therefore, there had to be another race of people. See how important it is to pay attention to what the Bible says instead of listen to the lie that someone else would plug in by changing one little thing? It doesn't even insinuate that he went to Nod and found a wife. Never once does it say that he went there and found a wife. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east 
of Eden and Cain knew his wife. It doesn't say nothing about finding a wife. It doesn't say nothing about going there and getting a wife. He already had a wife. It says that he took her there, and it says that, that he knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, built a city, called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So at no point does it ever say that he went there and found one. It says he knew his wife. That means he had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant. Number three, another problem that the world, the lies of the world, that they said there had to have been another race of people, and, and that's where Cain's wife came from. Let me give you problem number three with that. If that were true, that race could never be saved. If there had been another woman, there was another race of people, none of them could ever be saved, and that means you'd have to take Romans 10, 13 and tear it out of your Bible because it'd be a lie because it says whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Any whosoever's in the house? Whosoever. That, does that leave anybody out? Whosoever, does that exclude anybody? So, so if there was another race of people, then they're not the descendants of Adam, then they cannot be saved. Therefore, that would have to be a lie. You'd have to take it out. So, so we know that, we, that, 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 that there couldn't have been another race of people. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, So all this hath been written. The first man, Adam, became a living creature. The last Adam is for a life-giving spirit. So the first man, Adam, there that we read about in the garden, the one who brought in sin... The last man, Adam, is Jesus Christ, who brought life back to us in, in the life of the Spirit. The Son of God became man, a perfect man, but, but nonetheless, he is still our relation. He is our kinsman redeemer. I'm not going to get off into all that this morning. But he became the new head because he's sinless. And because he's sinless, he's able to pay the penalty. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. God didn't start out with a race of people. God started out with a man. That man sinned. Jesus cried, suffered death. He paid the penalty of sin by shedding his own blood on the cross. That's why Hebrews 9.22 tells us that, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Jesus shed his own blood so that those of us who put our trust in the blood shed on Calvary's cross can come in repentance and be reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12 says that wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, that was Adam, so death was passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So because that all of us are sinners. We all sin because we're sinners. We know it, Romans 6, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The death penalty, which Adam received as judgment, has been passed unto his descendants. Romans 6, 23. We, we know it tells that the wages of sin is death there in that first half. So since Adam was the head of the human race, when he fell, we fell. There had to be a redeemer. All of humanity fell behind him. Therefore, all of the descendants of Adam were separated from God by sin. The Bible describes all human beings as sinners. Acts 17, 26, hath made of one blood of all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and bounds of their habitation. So every human being that has ever lived are the descendants of Adam and Eve. Period. No exclusions, none left out including Cain's wife. So what we've established is the fact that there's no other race present on earth, that there's no other people 
I, I mean, listen, we, we can simply settle it. I, I get it. It's simple enough for us. Look, God was the only one there in the beginning. These people that come up with all these theories and all this stuff and all this garbage and all their junk, they weren't there. They don't know. They're just trying to be wise. The Bible talks all about them. In their, in their wisdom, they, they became as fools. In, in, their, in their search for knowledge, they try to be smarter than God. They try to come up with all this foolishness. We understand that God's the only one present. We understand that in the beginning, it's not the beginning of God, it's the beginning of time. It's the beginning when God put everything in motion. We, we know that, but, but it's not good enough for the doubters. So what else does the Bible tell us about where she came from? Well, Genesis 5, 5 tells us that Adam lived 930 years. That's a long time. I thank God that he chose to shorten the day. Three score and ten per adventure, four score is, is the norm for us now. I, I, I thank God I'd hate to know I still had to put up with 800 years of where this world's going. So we know that he's 930 years old, or he lived that long. Genesis 1.28, Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply. Now, it doesn't tell us how many children that they have. What it does tell us is that they had sons and daughters, right? <coughs> this is important. I, I want you all to understand. This is straight scripture. Everything, there ain't no Yanceyology garbage put in none of this. There, there ain't no opinions. I'm, I'm not giving you commentaries. I'm not giving you John Gill or, or anybody else. It, 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 Phillips, what's Dr. Phillips' name? I can't think of it. Harold Phillips. It, this, isn't, this isn't commentary. This is just all straight out of the Word of God. We know that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Genesis 5.3, Adam lived in 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and called his name Seth. That's 130 years of adulthood. Remember, it didn't take 20 years to grow up. I mean, for some of us, we're 50, 60 years old and we still ain't grew up, but you get the point. It's 130 years of adult life. He's created as a man. We know that Eve looked at Seth as a replacement for Abel. It says in Genesis 4:25, Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son, called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another, he, he hath appointed me a, another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. What we don't know is how many daughters did Adam and Eve have in that 130 years before Seth was born. Look, I, I know you guys aren't in Bible college. I, I get it. I, I know you didn't come this morning for, for, for a, a lesson here um, in apologetics and, and scriptural teaching. But as Christians, we need to know what we believe. And we need to know why. If you've never read the Bible through in a year and this is your first time that you're going to do it and we all do it together, I promise you, you're going to run into questions. And, and if you've done it many times, then all of us already know you're going to run into the questions again. And, and you're going to want to seek answers this time. It'll drive us to, to search for them. See, it's easy because we're saved. It's easy because we have the Holy Spirit who, who confirms everything. It's easy for us to say God settles it. I mean, God said it and that settles it. It's, it's easy for us to say that. All honesty, that, that really ought to be our answer. That's all we need to know, but that's, that's not enough for the unbeliever. That, that's not enough for the one who is still being controlled by the devil. The devil knows the word of God, and the devil is a liar. He knows how to lie. He knows how to deceive. He knows how to mislead. He knows how to, to distort the truth. He, he did it to Eve, right? He attempted to do it to Jesus Christ, did he not? 
We, we have an example of three times. So we know that he tries to deceive. So just because we know the truth, and the truth is good enough for us, it's not going to be good enough for the world. It's not going to stop the world from trying to tear you down. It's not going to stop the world from trying to destroy your testimony. It's not going to stop the world from trying to cause you to have doubts. It's not going to stop the world from, from trying to discredit your own story. So here's what I want us to do this morning as an addition to. You remember this started several months ago. Y'all remember your six-week card, right? We prayed together. Then we prayed and read together. Then we prayed and read together and picked up one person to pray for. And, and for six weeks, we did those things together. And then we read John together. And so God has done a few things to condition us as a church together. And where we are right now is to read the Word of God together. I want to encourage you. I promise you, if, if you're not even an accomplished reader, you already know it's not 15 minutes. It's usually a page, a page, and maybe a third page. And, and then you're done for the day. Right now you're getting Genesis, you're getting some Matthew, you're getting a little Proverbs and a little from Psalms. Something for the day. It, it takes about 15 minutes. I, I, I want to encourage you. Either before or after or preferably both. Let's pray together. Let, let's pray together for ourselves. Let's pray together for each other. Listen, when you pick it up, just a quick one, God, help me to understand your word. Take it and teach it to me. Give me something just for me. And, and, and then, Lord, throughout the church, will you draw us together? You, use your word to unite. I just want us to pray together. I want us to pray together according to God's own word that he'd give us wisdom. Anybody here need wisdom? By the boatloads, right? I just want us to pray together. So, the band, you guys come on up. Let me, let me read a passage to you. James chapter 1, beginning verse number 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? I want you to raise your hand if you lack wisdom. Okay, the majority of us. So that means he's speaking to the majority of us. Let him ask of God and give it to who give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Can I just plug right there a double-minded man? If it ain't godly, get it out of your life ungodly language, ungodly attitude, ungodly things in your phone, ungodly things you look at, ungodly things you sing. If it is not of God, it does not belong in your life. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse number 17, says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working power or, or the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul says that we should be a picture of humility. Paul says that our speech should be full of grace. Paul says that we ought to be an example. He says that, that ye may know. Paul says we ought to know some things. We, we ought to be able to defend some things that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Here's what I'll ask us to do this morning. We, we have set out on a voyage together to draw closer to the Lord. Many of you who I know you've read the Bible through several times. Many of you who I know you have great study habits and you have great knowledge of the Word of God. Yet you've agreed to stand side by side with all of us and let's read through the Bible once again. Even though you've read it a lot of times, here's, here's what the ones who have read it before know. They know it changed their life the first time. And they know after five or six years that it began to study because you wasn't learning at the, great, at the rate that you wanted to. But even if you read it through a lot of times, you know that reading it again is going to change our lives. You know that it's going to change us for the good. You know that it's going to draw us together. For, for those who have never finished, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and plug in that I, I feel quite comfortable saying there are probably several in, who, in here who have started this before, but you've never finished it. 15 minutes a day will change your life. And I promise you, when we stand here a year from now, there'll be a great sense of accomplishment in knowing that you have completed from in the beginning to amen. That you have read every written word of the Holy Spirit of God. And it is now stored in your heart that the Holy Spirit can recall it. He can't recall what you've never put in there. So normally, I would do one or two things. I would either have us stand and reach across the aisles and all of us come together as one. That we pray together and become one. Or I'd ask everybody to come to the altar and you guys would fill the altar and up the aisles. But there's a lot of flu and a lot of cold and a lot of garbage and a lot of junk going on. And I'm not going to subject you to it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you for all of you that will and want to, the altar is open. I'm going to ask you to make use of the altar. But I also want you to understand it is the position of the heart that's important, not the position of the body. So if you need to sit where you're at, if you need to kneel where you're at, if you want to stand where you're at, if you want to come to the altar, it doesn't matter. But what I do want is for all of us to pray together right now that God would give us wisdom through the reading of his word together. That God would give us direction and strength to unite us as one. Look, I, it doesn't matter to me what God wants us to do. I just want to do it. It doesn't matter if it's a program. It doesn't matter if it's something out on the streets. I, I know he'll answer our prayer. God, help us to win LaGrange, Georgia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us change our hometown with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it's God's will to do that. I know we're praying within God's will when we ask him to grow us and to strengthen us and to teach us his word. I know that is within the will of God. So I just want us to pray together as we read together. God, give us wisdom. God, give us strength. God, give us direction. And may we all be accountable to one another to pray together and read together each day. Go